السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم سو ابواب صلاه الجماعه We were doing chapter number 39, Bab Haddi al-Maridi an yashhad al-Jama'ah. What is it that can keep a sick person away from Jama'ah? Because we learned that performing salah in Jama'ah is an obligation upon men. But what are those situations in which a man is allowed to stay behind? One of them is sickness. But how bad does that sickness have to be? What should be the level of that marad that allows him to stay behind from jama'ah? And the evidence that Imam Bukhari has given is the hadith that describes the last days of the Prophet ﷺ when before his death, when he was extremely ill, he was not able to go to the masjid because of extreme fever, because of high fever. And he told his wives to go tell Abu Bakr to lead the people in prayer. However, when... Abu Bakr who led the people in prayer and the Prophet ﷺ found in himself some strength to go to the masjid. He went to the masjid taking the support of others. So this shows that even if a person has to go you know, with much difficulty to the masjid, he should try his best. Meaning a person should not exempt himself from staying behind for petty reasons, for small reasons. Rather, it should be a very genuine reason, a very genuine illness because of which a person should stay behind from attending the masjid. But we see over here that when the Prophet ﷺ said that, Muru Aba Bakrin fal yusalli bin nas, tell Abu Bakr and he should lead the people in prayer, he was told, Inna Aba Bakrin rajulun asif. Abu Bakr is a man who is very soft hearted and he is going to end up crying a lot and he won't be able to lead people in prayer. Who said this to him? It was Aisha anha. Alright? Because this was the house of Aisha radiallahu anha, right? So it was her, it was her who was with the Prophet Now, when she kept saying this, the Prophet said that you are like, inna kunna sawahibu Yusuf. Hmm? Sawahib is a plural of sahiba. Alright? Sahiba. And basically he's referring to the women who cut their hands when they saw Yusuf alayhi salam. Now why is it that the Prophet ﷺ said that? What's the resemblance over here? You see the women, when they heard about Zalikha and the incident with Yusuf ﷺ, the women started talking a lot. And they said that, إِنَّا لَنَرَاهَا فِي ضَلَالِ مُبِينَ That we see that she's in clear error. So they started talking about her, that she's gone crazy, and how could she do such a thing? They were talking a lot about this issue, But what was it that they really wanted? They wanted to see Yusuf a.s. as well. So they were saying something else, but in their heart, they concealed something different. In their heart was the wish to see Yusuf a.s. That who is this man that Zalikha went after in this way? And who is he? They wanted to see her. And like this, many people, they behave like this. In their heart, they wish to do the same thing, or they're curious as to what exactly is going on. But on the surface, they'll just speak against the issue. 
in the heart is curiosity. On the surface, they will express, oh, how could they do such a thing? They're so wrong. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ said that you are like the women of Yusuf, meaning in your heart is something else. And on the surface, you're saying something else to me. On the surface, you're saying Abu Bakr is going to cry a lot and he won't be able to lead people in prayer. But in reality, you intend something different. And what is that? That Abu Bakr should not be given the leadership. Okay? So, because it was clear that whoever is going to lead the people in prayer in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, especially towards the end of his life, he is going to be the leader. And if the Prophet ﷺ is repeatedly saying, go tell Abu Bakr he should lead the people in prayer, that is a very clear indication that Abu Bakr will be the leader. But Aisha anha, she didn't want that. Why? You would think any daughter would want her father to be the leader. But why? Yes, he was soft-hearted, but think about it. You think it would be easy, first of all, to accept this reality, that now the Prophet ﷺ is going to leave and somebody else is going to be leading people. That itself was a very difficult reality to accept. And secondly, any person who would take the position of leading the Muslims, he would face a lot of a lot of hardships, a lot of hostilities. It happens with people that they're perfectly fine with a particular individual, but as soon as that individual is given a position of authority, everyone is turned against them. And there are many you know, opinions by the scholars concerning as to why Aisha anha tried to protect Abu Bakr anhu over here, because they realized that leadership meant a huge responsibility. A huge responsibility. It, it was not something small. So this is why she tried to protect her father from it. But the Prophet ﷺ insisted that no, Abu Bakr should be the leader, meaning he should lead the people in prayer. And after the Prophet ﷺ died, unanimously the people agreed that Abu Bakr should be the Khalifa. Right? Because think about it, out of all the major acts of worship that people perform, what is the most important? Salah. So if a person is to lead people in prayer, is he not going to lead them in their worldly matters? Yes. So it was a clear indication that Abu Bakr anhu was going to be the leader. That if you think about it in, in other, you know, ways and in, in other uh, religions, the church is separated from the state. Right? There are two different leaders, but we see that in our religion, there is one leader. Because if a person is leading people in the matter of prayer, which is the most important matter, then other matters are of much less importance. Then he's supposed to lead them in that as well. It is some some have said that perhaps Habsarullah was also there, but there's no clear evidence of that. Also we see that in this hadith the Prophet when he went and joined Abu Bakr remember that he became the Imam, right? Because this is what we learned from the end of the hadith, he was leading the people in prayer. Abu Bakr was the Imam behind him. And the rest of the people were following Abu Bakr Alright, so there was almost like a hierarchy over here. The Prophet ﷺ leading the people, behind him Abu Bakr, and then behind Abu Bakr, the rest of the people. Alright? And we see that the Prophet ﷺ was sitting, he was not standing. And the rest of the people, including Abu Bakr anhu, how did they pray? Standing. Now in other ahadith we see that once before, the Prophet ﷺ, when he fell from his ride, from his mount, and he injured himself, he was not able to stand and pray. And when he let the people in prayer sitting, he told them that you should also sit. 
But this action shows that he was sitting and the rest of the people were standing. So according to many scholars, because this was the last action of the Prophet ﷺ, this is what we are to do as well. That if the imam for some udur has to sit and lead the people in prayer, the rest of the people are not going to sit. What are they going to do? They are going to stand. Because this was the last action of the Prophet ﷺ. Yes, he was standing. But remember Abu Bakr was following the Prophet ﷺ. That also, but again, Abu Bakr did not follow the Prophet ﷺ in that regard, meaning he didn't sit down. He stood and prayed. Okay, the rest of the people did the same thing. Clear? Yeah, of course, they have to follow, meaning when the Imam goes in Rukur, then the people will go in Rukur. When he says, Allahu Akbar, then the people will follow. This is just that in other hadith we see that the Prophet ﷺ told the people, when the Imam is sitting and praying, then you should also do the same. Next hadith. حدثنا إبراهيم بن موسى قال أخبرنا هشام بن يوسف عن معمر عن الزهري قال أخبرني عبيد الله بن عبد الله قال قالت عائشة لما سقل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he سقل سقل literally means to become heavy and remember that there is two kinds of heaviness one is physical and the other is intangible meaning it refers to the sickness of a person because of which it's difficult for him to move about. So she's referring to the sickness of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning when it became too difficult upon him and he was not able to get up easily, وَاشْتَدَّ وَجَعُهُ And his waja' meaning his pain became intense, إِسْتَأْذَنَ أَسْوَاجَهُ He took permission from his wives, and يُمَرَّضَ فِي بَيْتِ That he is looked after, where? In my house. يُمَرَّضَ from marad. Marad is sickness. Marid is the sick person. And yumarrada meaning he is looked after. Yeah, meaning a sick person is looked after. So he took permission from his wives that he should be allowed to stay in the house of Aisha anha only. And people come to visit him there and he is looked after in one place. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he had divided his days amongst his wives in order to be fair with them. And this meant that every night he would be in a different house. All right. Now, for a person who is healthy and active, it's possible. But for a person who's become sick, it's going to be very difficult for them to move on a regular basis. I know of this one lady whose mother is quite elderly. And before, they had decided amongst the sisters that every week, the mother would live in a different daughter's house. But then what happened that with age it became difficult for the mother so they all decided that she will stay in one person's house and everybody is going to come take turns and look after them. So when she was able to move about, it was easier. However, with age it became difficult. Now we see that the Prophet ﷺ also, it was difficult for him to move every day or every other day so he took permission from his wives that يُمَرَّضَ fi bayti. So what happened? فَأَذِنَّ lahu. So they permitted for him. He said, of course, you can stay in the house of Aisha anha. And you see over here, he chose the house of Aisha anha. And this shows the special love that he had for her. فَخَرَجَ بَيْنَ رَجُلَيْنِ So he went out between two men. تَخُطُّ رِجْلَاهُ الْأَرْضَ His feet dragging on the earth. Meaning he went out to the masjid in order to pray. But how did he go? Not walking himself, but taking the support of two men. And his feet were dragging. Because he wasn't able to walk easily. وَكَانَ عَشَرَ الدُّلَوْا عَنْهَا is saying that and he was بَيْنَ الْعَبَّاسِ وَرَجُلٍ آخر. He was taking the support of who? Two men. Who? Abbas. And secondly, another man. 
Okay? Now who was that man? Aisha radiallahu anha didn't mention his name. Qala Ubaidullah فَذَكَرْتُ ذَلِكَ لِبْنِ Abbas. He said, I mentioned this to Ibn Abbas. مَا قَالَتْ عَائِشَةُ What Aisha radiallahu anha had said. فَقَالَ لِي So he said to me, وَهَلْ تَدْرِي And do you know, مَنِ الرَّجُلُ Who is that man? الَّذِي لَمْ تُسَمِّ عَائِشَةُ The one whom Aisha radiallahu anha did not mention. Meaning his name, she did not mention. قُلْتُ لَا He said, I said, no. قَالَ هُوَ عَلِيُّ بْنُ أَبِي طَالِبْ It was Ali ibn Abi Talib. Now, why do you think Aisha radiallahu anha did not mention his name? Because, okay, she forgot. But we see that in many narrations, when Ali radiallahu anhu was to be mentioned, Aisha radiallahu anha did not take his name. Do you know the reason why? Okay, there was some difference of opinion. Okay. You see, there is no harm upon a person to not mention the name of a person whom they do not like to mention. Okay? Because they're a human being. You could have, you could have been hurt by that person and you're not able to get over it even though you've tried very hard to forgive them and you're okay with them when you deal with them, when you interact with them. But when they are to be mentioned, you don't like to take their name. Is that something wrong? There is no problem with it as long as a person is striving to clean their heart and whenever they have to interact with this individual, they interact correctly, properly. There is no, I mean, animosity is not displayed. You see, the Prophet ﷺ, he forgave the man who killed his uncle, didn't he? But what did he tell him? Just don't come in front of me. Alright? So this is similar. Don't come in front of me or I'm not going to take your name. Okay? Why? Because human, human being, right? If you've been hurt in your heart, it's very difficult to get over it. Now, you might wonder, why is it that Aisha anha was hurt? What happened? Do you remember the incident of Ifq? Hmm? Aisha anha went through a lot. The whole month, right? When people were talking about her, accusing her of a crime that she never committed, that did not befit her at all, given that she was the wife of the Prophet wasallam, and also who she was as a person, not expected of her to commit such a crime. And what happened? Her innocence was not revealed immediately. This was a great test for her, for her family, for the Muslim ummah in general, right? And we see that Ali radiallahu anhu, he suggested to the Prophet wasallam at that time, that if you divorce her, you have many other wives. He suggested to him, it's okay if you divorce her, because basically no revelation was coming. Her innocence was not being declared. If the Prophet ﷺ was to stay with her, it was difficult for him. If he was to leave her, that was also difficult for him. And there was so much fitna. So Ali anhu basically wanted that move on, divorce her, no harm, you have so many other wives, it's okay. Now as a solution to a problem, okay, it makes sense. But for Aisha anha, who was the most beloved person to her, it was her husband. And for him to be taken away for a crime that she never committed was very difficult. And for someone to suggest that, it was very difficult. It was very painful for her. So even though the Prophet ﷺ didn't take that suggestion, he waited, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed her innocence, and you know, as to, as to what verses were revealed concerning this whole incident, but Aisha was still hurt. But we see... There was no family drama. Okay? In the sense that 
there's arguments between Aisha radhiallahu anha and Ali radhiallahu anhu. No, nothing, nothing like that. Because amongst the verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, there was also the ayah, Allah tuhibbuna an yaghfirallahu lakum. Do you not love that Allah should forgive you? Right? So Abu Bakr radhiallahu anhu, he forgave Mistah. And Aisha radhiallahu anha, she tried her best, but she wasn't able to mention his name. Even the name of Ali radhiallahu anhu. She didn't say to the Prophet ﷺ, why is Ali anhu coming and taking you? He should not come to my house. No. Nothing like that. Ali anhu is coming. He's taking the Prophet ﷺ from the house of Aisha anha to the masjid. Ali anhu was one of the people who was present, you know, when the Prophet ﷺ was being buried, everything was being done. He was there the whole time. Aisha anha never stopped him. The only thing was when she would talk about him, she would not mention his name. And we understand, she was a human being. Definitely. The suggestion of Ali anhu is not to be taken in the sense that we take it against Aisha anhu that he opposed her or he doubted her. Just that he wanted the situation to already be over. Because imagine the distress that it was causing to the Prophet Regardless, it was a suggestion. Okay, and the suggestion was very sincere. But obviously this was something difficult for Aisha Allah to bear. And we women we can understand very easily. Bab Arruhsati Filmatari Walaillati and Yusalliya fi Rahlihi. Arruhsa, the permission, dispensation, filmatar in rain, walla and other reason, genuine reason. What permission? أَنْ يُصَلِّيَ فِي رَحْلِهِ That a person prays where? In his house. Meaning, all of these abwab are related to performing salah in congregation, in jama'ah, where? In the masjid. So over here, what is being mentioned? What is it that allows a person to stay behind from the jama'ah? One is severe illness. Over here, what is mentioned? Matar. Matar is rain, heavy rain. And back in the day when it would rain, even a little bit of rain would cause uh, streets to become flooded. And if not that, when people would walk in the rain, their clothes would get covered in mud. And the masjid itself would also get flooded. All right? they would, there, there would be wet mud everywhere. So it would be difficult for the people to go to the masjid. So in these conditions, is a person allowed to stay back from the masjid, stay back from the jama'ah and pray at home? Yes, there's an allowance over here. And remember that this is not just specific to matar only, rain only. Any bad weather condition, whether it is snow or it is ice or it is extremely hot or cold wind, extreme hot or extreme cold, whatever it may be, that will make it difficult for the people to reach the masjid, then people are allowed to stay behind. Secondly, illa. What is illa? Some genuine reason. All right, that will make it difficult for the people to go to the masjid. And remember that there is a principle of fiqh which is al-mashaqqatu tajlibut taysi. That difficulty will bring ease. That where it becomes difficult for a person to do something, then what will happen? That matter will be made easy for him. So for example, if a person is extremely sick and he's not able to stand and pray, then will the matter be made easy for him? How? That he can sit and pray. And if that is also difficult for a person, then he will lie down and pray. Or whatever position he is in, he will pray in that position. Right? So likewise, if it's difficult for a person to go to the masjid, difficult for some genuine reason, 
whether it is the long drive or extreme fatigue or sickness or bad weather, then is he allowed to stay at home and pray? Yes. This is about a man. Okay. Why? Because one of the main features of our religion is that it is practical and it is easy. Right? In the Quran, what do we learn? That وَمَا جَعَلَ لَكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ That in the religion, Allah has not created any difficulty for you. This religion is yusr. يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ yusra. Allah intends for you ease and not difficulty. And the Prophet ﷺ also advised that يَسِّرُوا وَلَا تُعَسِّرُوا Create ease and do not create difficulty. Facilitate matters for people. Make it easier for them. Don't make it hard and difficult for them. But what do we think? That if a person wants to be religious, then it has to be the other way. Make it more difficult, right? Make it harder, but it's the opposite way. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن نافع أن ابن عمر أذن بالصلاة في ليلة ذات برد. That Ibn Umar عنه, he pronounced the adhan, meaning أذن بالصلاة, he made the adhan for salah, في ليلة on a night that was ذات برد, that was cold. So on a cold night, when the adhan was pronounced, and it wasn't just cold, wariḥin, and also wind, meaning it was it was extremely cold and also windy. And then summa qala, meaning after the adhan, he said, "Ala sallu rihal." He said, "People pray where in rihal, meaning in your tents, in your homes." Summa qala, then he said, "In Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam." كان يأمر المؤذن إذا كانت ليلة ذات برد ومطر يقول ألا صلوا في الرحال. He said the Prophet ﷺ said he would tell the muaddin that whenever it would be cold and rainy, then he would tell the muaddin that after the adhan say these words ألا صلوا في الرحال. That pray where in your homes. حدثنا إسماعيل قال حدثني مالك عن ابن شهاب عن محمود بن الربيع الأنصاري أن عتبان بن مالك كان يأم قومه وهو أعمى That عتبان بن مالك he would lead his people in prayer and he was blind وأنه قال لرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا رسول الله he said to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that إنها تكون الظلمة والسيل That sometimes there is extreme darkness and also flood right meaning because of the rain the streets are flooded and by the way, what he says over here, وَأَنَا رَجُلٌ ضَرِيرُ الْبَصَرِ That I'm a person who is ضَرِيرُ الْبَصَرِ ضَرِيرُ الْبَصَرِ is someone who's not completely blind, but someone who has very, very weak eyesight. So he's able to see, but very little and with a lot of difficulty. So you could imagine on a dark night, how would he see? How would he see? He wouldn't be able to see. So this is why he said that sometimes it's extremely dark and the streets are also flooded. And I am not able to see clearly. فَصَلِّ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ فِي بَيْتِي مَكَانًا So please pray in my house on a particular place. أَتَّخِذُهُ مُصَلَّى And I will take that place as a prayer place. Meaning I will pray in my house whenever it's difficult for me to go to the masjid. فَجَاءَهُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ فَقَالَ أَيْنَ تُحِبُّ أَنْ أُصَلِّي So the Prophet ﷺ came and said, Where would you like me to pray? فَأَشَارَ إِلَى مَكَانٍ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ So he pointed towards a particular uh, place in the house. فَصَلَّى فِيهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ So the Prophet ﷺ prayed over there. So we see that Ritban was he allowed? Yes, he was. So there are many reasons because of which a person is allowed to stay behind from jama'ah. Of them is also sickness and of them is also 
severe weather conditions. باب هل يصلي الإمام بمن حضر وهل يخطب يوم الجمعة في المطر هل يصلي should he pray who الإمام the Imam بمن with those who حضر are present meaning extreme you know cold rainy windy and the adhan is pronounced and the people are told pray in your homes but what happens someone was already on their way so they're like I'm halfway here anyway might as well go to the masjid Alright? Or some people, uh, they did not go home after the previous prayer. So there are people present in the masjid already. Now the adhan was pronounced, people were told, pray in your homes. Now should the people be told, go back to your house and pray there? No. Even if two, three people have come together, should the imam lead them? Yes. وَهَلْ يَخْطُبُ يَوْمَ الْجُمُعَةِ فِي الْمَطَرِ And there is rain, people have come on, on Friday. So should he give the khutbah? Or should he say, forget it, let's not pray, everybody go home? What should happen? حدثنا عبد الله بن عبد الوهابي قال حدثنا حماد بن زيد قال حدثنا عبد الحميد صاحب الزيادي قال سمعت عبد الله بن الحارث قال خطبنا ابن عباس في يوم ذي رضغ He said, ابن عباس رضي الله عنه He gave khutbah to us في يوم on a day that was ذي رضغ ذي رضغ What does that mean? We did this earlier. Muddy. Right? Muddy meaning because of rain, because it's too wet. So on such a day, he gave khutbah. فَأَمَرَ muadhin. Then he ordered the muadhin. لَمَّا بَلَغَ حَيَّ عَلَى الصَّلَاةِ When he reached حَيَّ عَلَى الصَّلَاةِ قَالَ He said, قُلِ الصَّلَاةُ فِي الرِّحَالِ He said, say, الصَّلَاةُ فِي الرِّحَالِ So he gave the khutbah, the adhan. When it's pronounced, he said, tell the people to pray in their homes. فَنَظَرَ بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَى بَعْضُ So the people started looking at one another in confusion that what's going on? Aren't we going to pray together? فَكَأَنَّهُمْ أَنْكَرُوا So it was as if they rejected this idea that they couldn't accept it that wow, we are here, why are we not going to establish the jama'ah? And why are people being told to pray in their homes? فَقَالَ So he said, كَأَنَّكُمْ أَنْكَرْتُمْ هَذَا He said, it is as though you dislike this, you're, you are... You dislike this. You're not ready to accept this. In هَذَا فَعَلَهُ مَنْ هُوَ خَيْرٌ مِّنِّي He said, the one who is better than me did this. Who was he referring to? The Prophet ﷺ. Meaning, I'm not innovating this. No way. The Prophet ﷺ did this. يعني النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. He said, إِنَّهَا عَزْمَة It is indeed عزمة. What is عزمة? From عزيمة. It means different things depending on the context and the usage of the word. Okay, Sometimes it gives the meaning of a duty that is bound on people, meaning that they have to abide by. All right. Sometimes the word azima, uh, one is rukhsa, the other is azima, meaning one is an allowance, all right, and the other is something that is better than that, meaning what a person should strive to perform, preferred thing. And azima is also determination because it requires a lot of determination from a person to do it. So he said, إِنَّهَا عَزْمَةً Meaning it is a duty, it is an obligation, meaning salah is, you have to perform your prayer, you're not being exempted from prayer, salah is an obligation. But the reason why I said that people should pray in their homes is that, وَإِنِّي كَرِهْتُ أَنْ أُخْرِجَكُمْ I dislike to bring you out. Meaning, I did not want that you should have to come out of your houses in this weather to the masjid, and pray. Salah is an obligation. You have to perform. You're not being exempted from that. 
But I did not want you to endure hardship in coming over here. عن حماد عن عاصم عن عبد الله بن الحارث عن ابن عباس النحوه غير أنه قال in another version he said قال كرهت أن أؤثمكم. I did not want to put you in sin, meaning I did not want that you should think you are committing a sin. How? By staying behind. Because inevitably, in bad weather, some people are going to choose to stay behind. Correct? Some people are going to strive, they're going to make it. And other people are going to say, impossible, and they're going to stay behind. But when they're staying behind, they might feel guilty in their hearts. Has it ever happened to you? Hmm? You stay behind, but with a heavy heart, with this guilt. He said, I did not want that you should have this feeling, فَتَجِئُونَ And then you would force yourself to come, تَدُوسُونَ الطين. Covered in الطين, meaning in mud, إِلَى رُكَبِكُمْ Up to your knees. Meaning, I wanted that people should stay in their homes, those who are in their homes, but guilt-free. Guilt-free. So this is why I said in the Adhan, these words should be pronounced that pray in your homes. So how important it is that a person should do whatever he's doing guilt-free. Right? If you think about it, in the Qur'an so many times, in Surah Tawbah, Surah Tawbah is called Surah Fadiha because it exposes the hypocrites. But how many times Tawbah is mentioned? Right? That if they do Tawbah, it'll be accepted. Every group of people is mentioned. Mushrikeen, munafiqeen, mutaraddideen. But what is mentioned after that? Tawbah, tawbah. Invitation to tawbah is open. Why? Come out of that guilt. Go back to Allah. Our religion gives us hope. Right? In the Quran, what does Allah say? That, لا تقنطوا من رحمة الله Don't despair from the mercy of Allah, no matter what has happened. Come out of that guilt. Right? So what is necessary? that we also make the matters clear for people so that they don't stay in guilt. Because you know what happens when a person feels guilty? He hides. He runs away. Isn't it? Then he avoids. So what is necessary? That we clarify whatever a person is required to do and whatever he's allowed to do so that whatever he's doing, he's doing with shahr sadr. Definitely, it affects the quality of the work also. Right? So anything that's going on, do it guilt-free. Because you see, when a person is staying behind, like in Surah Al-Baqarah also we learn that تَخْتَانُونَ أَنفُسَكُمْ right? You're doing khiyana with yourself. So this is what leads to hypocrisy also. Doing khiyana with yourself. So if you're staying behind, know why you're staying behind. And if you're going, know why you're going. Be clear about whatever you are doing. Because at the end of the day, our matter with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be حدثنا مسلم بن إبراهيم قال حدثنا هشام عن يحيى عن أبي سلمة قال سألت أبا سعيد الخدري فقال جاءت سحابة he said I asked أبو سعيد الخدري asked about what the question is not mentioned in this version but in other narrations we learn he asked him about ليلة القدر فقال so he said that جاءت سحابة on ليلة القدر what happened a cloud came فمطرت so it rained until the saqf. What is the saqf? The roof. It became flooded, meaning it began to leak. The roof of the masjid, what happened? It it began to leak. وَكَانَ مِنْ جَرِيدِ النَّخْلِ And it was made of palm branches. So you can imagine palm branches and heavy rain and continuous rain. 
So what's going to happen? Eventually, the water is going to permeate through that and the masjid is going to get wet. So what happened? فَأُقِيمَتِ الصَّلَاةِ So the salah was performed while the masjid was all wet and the roof was leaking. فَرَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَسْجُدُ فِي الْمَاءِ وَالطِّينِ He said, I saw the Prophet ﷺ doing sajda where in ma and teen, meaning in water and wet mud. Right? So much so that I saw the traces of that teen on his forehead. That the wet mud was on his skin, on his forehead, because when he was doing sajda, obviously the floor was wet, and as a result, he also got wet and the mud got onto his face. Now, remember that this happened in Ramadan. But basically, Imam Bukhari is mentioning this to show that in extreme weather, so much rain, but still, salah was performed in the masjid, in Jama'ah. People are allowed to stay behind, but those who can manage to come, they may come. And those who are already present, they might as well pray in congregation. So, what happened over here that the Prophet ﷺ, in the month of Ramadan, what did he do? He performed irtikaf. The first year that he performed irtikaf, he did it when? In the first ten nights. The next year, he did it in? the middle ten nights. Seeking what? Seeking Laylatul Qadr. Right? And the third year he was told that it is in the last ten nights. Okay? And it is said that he was informed of this in a dream. And the Prophet ﷺ, he addressed the people and he told them that I was made to see the night and I saw that I was doing sajda in the morning after it in ma and teen, in water and mud. Hmm? So what happened that in one of the nights, which exactly it was, Allahu A'lam, there was heavy rain, so much so that the roof of the masjid, it was leaking. And in the Fajr prayer, when the Prophet ﷺ led the people in prayer, there was so much water in the masjid that it was muddy. And the Prophet ﷺ, his forehead was also covered in mud. So we see that while people are allowed to stay behind from Jamar in such weather, those who have reached the masjid, what should they do? They should pray. They should establish salah. And also if you think about it, sometimes it happens that you are required to be at a particular place. Alright? But due to certain weather conditions or traffic conditions, everybody is not able to make it. So those who are able to make it, even if there are very few, what should they do? Forget it, only a few people can come. What should they do? No, do it. They should still continue. I was just going to mention that actually, that those people who have managed to come, Alhamdulillah. But those people who did not come, remember that they're staying behind. Why? Because they have that permission. They're taking the allowance. Okay? So those who are staying behind should not think bad about people who are going, should not feel any anger towards them. Okay? And likewise, people who have managed to come should not look down on the people who, who could not come. Okay? Because both are doing right. Okay? Both are doing right. Those who are coming, Alhamdulillah, Allah gave you tawfiq. And those who did not come, Alhamdulillah, because they are taking the rukhsa. And Allah loves that the rukhsa is taken just like the azima is taken. Because the rukhsa is also from who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And remember that Allah, He is not in need of our fatigue and our exhaustion. So we don't need to put ourselves in extreme hardship 
in order to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't need to do that. Okay? Like for example, if there is a person who, who is allowed to sit and pray, and he does not have the capacity to stand and pray, if he forces himself to stand and pray, and he ends up breaking his back or something, okay, or his situation getting worse, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to impose such hardship upon himself. What do we learn about the Qur'an? That how much should you recite? As much as you are able to. Because you will get tired, you will get bored, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will not. Right? He's most generous. No matter how much good you do, He's ready to reward you for that. But how much should you impose on yourself as much as you are able to do? Alright? Exactly. That even if one or two people show up, Alhamdulillah, continue because... Remember what you came for, right? You came for the pleasure of Allah. And if you can get that by doing this action at a small scale even, walillahi alhamd. حدثنا آدم قال حدثنا شعبة قال حدثنا أنس بن سيرين قال سمعت أنسا يقول قال رجل من الأنصار إني لا أستطيع الصلاة معك One of the men from the Ansar, he said to the Prophet وسلم, that I am not able to pray with you. وَكَانَ رَجُلًا ضَخْمًا And he was a man who was ضَخْم ضَخْم meaning he was large meaning heavy in his body and because of that reason he was not able to come as regularly because you see walking through narrow streets remember Arabia, Medina, desert walking over the sand okay, and then up and down it's not a smooth paved road so it's difficult to walk and especially when it's flooded when it's rainy it's more difficult for a person to walk, right? So he was a large man and he was not able to come regularly for the prayers. So he said that to the Prophet ﷺ. And what happened then? This companion, remember, he is different from Uthban. Uthban, he was not able to come. Why? Because of his vision. Alright? And this companion was not able to come for another reason. So he prepared for the Prophet ﷺ ta'am and some food. فَدَعَاهُ إِلَى مَنْزِلِهِ And then he invited the Prophet ﷺ to his house. فَبَسَطَ لَهُ حَصِيرًا And then he spread out a straw mat for him. وَنَضَحَ طَرَفَ الْحَصِيرِ And he نَضَحَ He sprinkled some water, meaning he made it wet. طَرَفَ الْحَصِيرِ One side of it, meaning in order to freshen it up. So what happened then? صَلَّى عَلَيْهِ رَكَعَتَيْنِ And then the Prophet ﷺ, he performed two on it, meaning. In this man's house, on the mat, the Prophet ﷺ performed the prayer. So we see here that the Prophet ﷺ performed prayer on what? On a hasir. Okay? On a straw mat. But at other times he prayed directly on, on the mud. So what do we learn from this? Is it necessary to pray on a prayer mat? Is it an obligation? No. Or is it an obligation to pray on the floor? No. Whatever is convenient for you. So if you're at a masjid, the mats are already placed, you don't have to roll them up and go find a spot where it's cold. No, you don't have to put yourself in that hardship. Or if you cannot find a prayer mat somewhere, it's not necessary that you delay your prayer, you keep looking for it until you can put something on the floor and pray on top of it. Okay? Whatever is feasible for a person, whatever is practical for a person, he should do that. Because the Prophet ﷺ didn't object to this. He didn't say remove it. فَقَالَ رَجُلٌ مِنْ آلِ الْجَارُودِ So a man from the Al Jarud, he said, لِأَنَسٍ تُؤَنَسَ ضِلَاءُ عَنْهُ أَكَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يُصَلِّ الضُّحَى 
Did the Prophet ﷺ pray the duha prayer? Qala Anas said, Ma ra'aytuhu sallaha illa yawma idhin. I didn't see him performing salatul duha except on this day. Now what do we learn over here? First of all, we learn from this hadith that whenever there is a difficulty, whatever it may be, if there is difficulty in attending the masjid, a genuine reason, then a person is allowed to stay back from the jama'ah, a man is allowed to stay back from the, from the jama'ah and pray by himself. All right. Secondly, we see in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ, he performed two rak'ah sometime in the morning. Now this was not zuhur and this was not fajr. Okay, This was a prayer between fajr and zuhur. It was not fard because if it was fard, it would have been his regular habit. All right. What was it? It was nafal. How many rakar did he pray? Two. So somebody asked, was this the duha prayer? Anas said that I didn't see the Prophet ﷺ performing this prayer except at this occasion. So basically he was indicating that he performed these two rakar for a sabab, for a reason. And what was that reason? To establish the prayer in this man's house. You understand? To establish the prayer in this man's house. This is the reason why he prayed. It wasn't because he was performing Salatul Duha. Okay? Now, Anas anhu, he was one of those companions who spent a long time with the Prophet Remember, he was very young when he was brought to him in order to serve him. And he is saying, I didn't find him praying this prayer except at this occasion. So, what is the ruling with regards to Salatul Duha? Remember that the Prophet did pray, did perform Salah, Sometimes, not every day, okay? Between Fajr and Zuhr. Between Fajr and Zuhr. It is called Salatul Duha, it is called Ishraq, it is called Salatul Awabin, okay? There are different names used for it. But basically, after the sun has risen completely, so you're talking about 15 minutes after the sun begins to rise, okay? Until the point where the sun reaches its zenith, okay? So in that time, you can pray nafal prayer. Okay, you can perform nafal prayer. We see that the Prophet ﷺ performed a certain number of rakah at Fath Makkah. When he conquered Makkah, at that time he performed Salatul Duha. Aisha anha, she reported, this is a hadith in Muslim, that the Prophet ﷺ used to perform four rakah of Duha prayer and he would add to them whatever Allah wished. So sometimes four, and sometimes more than that. Now Aisha is reporting this. What does this show? That where did he perform this prayer? At home. And who saw him over there? Only his family. Anas who did not see him. Okay? And other companions also perhaps, they did not see him. So the Prophet ﷺ did have a habit of performing some prayer at this time. Okay, and he also encouraged the people to do that. For example, we learned that Abu Hurairah this is also hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, he said, My Khalil directed me. My Khalil, meaning the Prophet ﷺ told me to fast three days of each month and to observe two rak'ah duha at forenoon and to perform the witr prayer before going to bed. So the Prophet ﷺ instructed Abu Hurairah to perform this. 
But you notice over here, he told him to perform duha, and he also told him to perform witr before going to sleep. So what does it mean? He told him to perform witr when? In the night. Okay? And duha when? In the morning. So based on this, some scholars say that if a person is able to perform tahajjud, qiyamul layl, then he does not need to perform duha. In the morning, he does not need to perform duha. Okay? Yes, because it's nafil prayer, right? So the Prophet ﷺ, it was his regular habit to perform tahajjud. But on the days he wasn't able to perform full, two-thirds of the night as recommended to him, as commanded to him, then what would he do? He would perform whatever he was not able to perform in the night when? In the morning. So sometimes four, sometimes more, and sometimes less. Depending on how much he was able to pray in the night. You understand? So if, for example, a person's regular habit is performing eight nawafil in the night, okay, and they're able to perform only two. They woke up just before Fajr, they're able to perform only two. Then what should they do? It's a regular habit, right? Allah loves those actions which are consistent. So then perform some duha prayer. You understand? And if a person was able to perform tahajjud complete, then obviously he's going to be tired in the morning also. How will he have the strength to perform duha prayer as well? Okay? Yes, so Abu Huraira radhiallahu anhu, he was told to perform witr at night because he used to study a lot. Okay? So what happened? The Prophet ﷺ did not want him to stay behind completely from the reward of voluntary prayer. So this is why he told him, pray duha. Okay? Because remember that for every person, in order to get closer to Allah, what is necessary? Voluntary good deeds. And of the best of voluntary good deeds is which one? The night prayer. But sometimes in your life, you're not able to do that on a consistent basis. So at least some nawafil in the morning, even if it's just two, even that will make a difference. Right? MashaAllah, barakallahu feekum. Good for you if you have that strength and you have that time and that ability. But we see that many people are not able to. Right? So basically what we learn from this is nafal prayer should be performed either in the night or in the morning, whatever possible. In a hadith which is in Muslim, Zayd bin Arqam radhiallahu anhu said, the Prophet ﷺ said, the salah of those who are awabin is offered when your fisal feel the heat of the sun. What are fisal? Young camels. When they feel the heat of the sun, meaning when they're not able to stand on the hot ground because of the heat of the sun, basically when the sun is up, right? So that is when you perform duha prayer. And in this hadith, what is it called? Salatul Awabin. In a hadith in Muslim, in the morning, the Prophet ﷺ said, in the morning, charity is due on every joint bone of the body, of every one of you. So every joint? So in your finger, how many? How many? One, two, three. Alright? So every joint of the body, Sadaqah is due every morning. And he said, for every one of you. He said, every utterance of Allah's glorification, meaning saying subhanallah, is an act of charity. 
And every utterance of his praise, meaning saying Alhamdulillah is an act of charity. And every utterance of declaration of his greatness, meaning saying La ilaha illallah is an act of charity. And enjoining ma'roof, enjoining that which is right is an act of charity. And forbidding munkar, meaning forbidding that which is wrong is an act of charity. And two rak'ah duha prayers, which one performs in the forenoon is equal to all of this in reward. Hmm? So in the morning, what is necessary that a person give? Sadaqah. How much sadaqah? How much? Equal to the amount of joints in his body. Now, can we do that financially? Not possible for every individual. So how is it that a person will give that sadaqah? Through the performance of different, different good deeds. Alright? And an easy way the Prophet ﷺ taught is to perform two rakah. Two rakah. Right? So basically from all of these ahadith, what do we see? That nawafil in the morning, duha, was something that the Prophet ﷺ did perform, but it was not on an everyday, on a regular basis. He did perform, and he also encouraged the people to perform, so we should also learn from that and practice. And you will notice there will be a huge difference. The day you perform two nafil in the morning, it really helps you focus on your work. You start your day, your work day, with the remembrance of Allah, it will help you focus inshallah. You will see the blessing. And alhamdulillah, we come here to the masjid anyway. And remember we learned that a person who goes to the masjid in the morning and in the evening, then Allah prepares for him hospitality in Jannah. Right? So when you're coming here in the morning, come with the intention of performing two nafil first and then doing your work. After fajr, meaning after the sun has completely risen, then. So ishraq, duha, salatul awwabin, same thing. Some say there is a difference in the timing, but essentially it's the same thing. It's nafil prayers. If you're able to perform right after the sun has risen, good. If you're not able to perform it at that time, a bit, a bit later, a bit later. And this shows us the flexibility, right? Some people are able to uh, stay in their place of prayer after fajr until the sun has risen and perform two, four nafil, how much ever possible. But others don't have that option, right? They have to get out of the house, go work. But if you don't have that option, doesn't mean you miss out on it completely? No. When you reach your workplace, then perform two rakah there. As you see, awabin, those who are constantly turning back to Allah. If you think about it, the gap between fajr and zuhur, it's the longest. Isn't it so? Between zuhur and asr, not that long. Asr and maghrib, not that long. Maghrib and isha, not that long. And again, between isha and fajr, Either you're sleeping or there are people who are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you go to sleep at night with the dhikr of Allah in the state of wudu, then inshallah that entire sleep is also an act of worship. And you're sleeping anyway, so it's different. But between fajr and zuhr, you spend a long time without performing any prayer, any act of worship. Right? So, awabin, those who turn back to Allah, they will perform at least two nafil. Yes, 15 minutes after sunrise, okay, meaning once the sun begins to rise, so 15 minutes after that, the time for this prayer begins. Until when? Until the sun reaches its zenith, so basically until dhuhr. Bab, إِذَا حَضَرَ الطَّعَامُ وَأُقِيمَةِ الصَّلَاةِ When the food has been served, meaning it is present, and Salah is also going to be established. Uqimat al-salah meaning iqama has been pronounced. So the food is put before you and at the same time iqama has been pronounced. Now what should a person do? 
should he eat first? If he eats first, he might miss the first rakah. Or if he eats slowly, then he might miss the prayer completely. Hmm? If he goes to pray first, then he is extremely hungry. And the food will be cold by the time he comes back. Right? So what should he do? There is no one answer. This is why Imam Bukhari did not give the answer. Okay? There is detail in this, meaning it depends on the situation. If the food is going to distract the person from prayer, meaning he leaves the food and goes to prayer, and the food is going to distract him from prayer, then what should he do? He should eat first and then go to prayer. But if the prayer is going to distract him from the food, meaning he's eating and he's eating quickly and he's choking on his food and he's rushing and he's not able to eat properly and he's constantly worried about the prayer, then what should he do? Go pray first. And you'll find yourself in different situations. At times what happens is that you have one bite left or half a sandwich left. right? And you know that if you finish your sandwich, inshallah you'll catch the prayer. So what should you do? Finish that. Some people they have a lot of self-control. They can even put that sandwich away. Right? It won't bother them in prayer. And other people, they didn't even get a chance to have their breakfast. They're really hungry or they just open their fast. Right? So they have to eat something. Otherwise, they will not be able to focus in prayer. Right? So there's no one answer. It really depends on the situation. And it depends on the person also. And not just the person, but the situation. Every situation is different. Yeah, The Prophet ﷺ's way was what? That he would open his fast. How? With... A few dates, a date, water, right? And then he would pray the salah. After the prayer, then he would go eat with his family. So we should also try to follow the sunnah. And remember that when you eat dates and water, with that, it will rehydrate you like anything. Really. All that dehydration of the whole day goes away completely. And this is scientifically proven. On an empty stomach, if you're ever feeling low and you're hungry, have dates and water together. It will give you a boost of energy. So the energy that you get from that is just sufficient to pray in peace. Okay, and then go back to eat. Now, what is the purpose of prayer? What is the purpose behind salah? What is it? It's a meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And what is necessary for any meeting? Hudurul qalb. Right? That the heart is present. So if a person leaves his food, goes to pray, and his heart is still with the food. Can he pray? Is the purpose of salah being fulfilled? No. So this is why there is allowance for a person to delay going to the jama'ah in order to finish his food. And if a person thinks whatever is written for me, every bite, I am going to get it. وَكَانَ ibn عُمَرَ يَبْدَأُ Ibn Umar anhu he would begin with the Asha. What is Asha? Evening meal, supper, dinner. Meaning if he was ever in a position such as this, that Iqama is being pronounced for the Salah, and his dinner has been served, then what would he start with? Dinner first, and then he would go for prayer. Tell me something, if you were to see somebody doing that, Iqama is pronounced, and there is somebody who is eating, what would we think about this person? How judgmental we become, right? And we think we know a lot. This is a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, Ibn Umar. Right? And if food was brought to him, food was served, then what would he do? He would eat first and then go for prayer. That we also become difficult with children. 
that they're hungry, they want to eat, but we rush them through their supper or their food just so that they can get to prayer first. And then what happens? They begin to resent the salah. Now, in other hadith that we will learn, you'll notice that the words that are mentioned are the food is served. There is a difference between asking for food and being served. Now, if you ask for food, you know that salah is going to start in five minutes and you say, can I please have food right now? Now, you are putting yourself in a difficult situation. If you're really hungry, you should have asked earlier. Okay? But if the food is brought to you and you leave the food and go, first of all, you're not going to get to eat. And secondly, the person who has brought the food, how are they going to feel? How are they going to feel? It's going to be difficult for them, right? I just put in so much hard work in preparing this hot food, fresh food, and this person is sitting right before them and they're leaving it and they're going to go away. Okay? So, because of this reason also we see that they were very courteous. So, Ibn Umar anhu he would yabda'u bil'asha. وَقَالَ أَبُوْ الدَّرْدَى And Abu Darda said, مِنْ فِقْهِ الْمَرْئِ Of the fiqh of a person. It is a part of a man's understanding. If a person really has fiqh understanding, then what is it that will show? إِقْبَالُهُ عَلَى حَاجَتِهِ إِقْبَال To advance, meaning to fulfill. عَلَى حَاجَتِهِ His need. That he will he will fulfill his need first. Okay? حَتَّى يُقْبِلَ عَلَى صَلَاتِهِ So that when he goes to the salah, وَقَلْبُهُ فَارِغْ His قَلْب is فَارِغْ Meaning he goes with a clear heart. Not that his heart is, you know, Busy with something else or thinking about food. Okay, so what is it that shows the intelligence of a person? That he will fulfill his need first and then go for prayer. What could that need be? Whether it is using the bathroom, okay, or it is eating his food, finishing off his food, whatever it may be, he will fulfill his need first and then go to prayer. Because you see, one of the signs of successful people is what? That they finish what they start. Right? So they complete something and then they start something else. What happens with us is that we try to multitask. We're like, okay, I'll just eat half right now. I'll go pray and I'll come back to eat. Then what happens? You go and pray half-heartedly and you come back and you finish off the rest of your food and you don't even have that feeling of satisfaction. Right? You don't know how much you've eaten. So you end up eating more. Or you end up eating very soon after again because you're not satisfied. So what is necessary? That if you're eating, finish it and then go. Okay? Because then you'll be able to focus in prayer. Exactly. If you can manage to perform half of the salah in jama'ah with khushur, that is better than performing the entire salah with jama'ah but without any khushur. And immediately after the prayer, rushing back to the food. You see what happens is that when you have to go back to food, then you will rush through the prayer. And you say, quickly finish so that I can eat. But when you finish your food first, then you can pray. You know, you can take your time, you can pray easily. Right? Now in the Quran also, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ When you have become free, then stand in prayer. Right? فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ When you are farigh, meaning when you've finished your food, when you've fulfilled your need, then فَانْصَبْ Then get up and pray. Because when you will pray like that, وَإِلَى رَبِّكَ فَرْغَبْ Then you'll be able to have رَغْبَ to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Correct? So, when you finished eating, 
then stand for prayer. And when you will stand for prayer like that, then you'll be able to have khushur. We leave things midway, halfway, and then we're neither here nor are we there. So only after faragh can you have raghba. حدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا يحيى عن هشام قال حدثني أبي قال سمعت عائشة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال إذا وضع العشاء when the supper is placed meaning is served وأقيمت الصلاة and إقامة is pronounced فابدأوا بالعشاء then one should start with the supper meaning start with your dinner it's been served to you so finish it and then go for prayer حدثنا يحيى بن بكير قال حدثنا الليث عن عقيل عن ابن شهاب عن أنس بن مالك أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا قدم العشاء when the عشاء is قدم meaning it is put before you it is served فابدأوا به then start with it قبل أن تصلوا صلاة المغرب before you perform the maghrib prayer now maghrib prayer you don't have much time for that Right? But still he said, eat first and then perform the prayer. وَلَا تَعْجَلُوا عَنْ عَشَائِكُمْ And do not rush in your food, in your meal. Meaning don't be hasty in finishing it. Because then you'll choke and you won't be satisfied and you'll begin to resent the prayer. Now what happens is that we go to extremes. If we think that praying salah on time is important, then we think that if the time for prayer enters at 5.30, then you should be standing at 5.31. If you're standing at 6 o'clock, you're committing a sin. And then we hear stories about people who, as soon as the time for prayer entered, they left their food, whatever they were cooking, and they went for prayer and they died in their prayer. I mean, yes, it's a very good story, but is it practical for every for every person in every situation? No. In real life, is it possible? No. You can't always leave what you're doing, whatever it is, and go perform salah. I mean, for salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a certain time period. Right? It's not like you have to be here at this minute, at this second. You have an hour, you have two hours, you have three hours. In that time, pray whenever it's easy for you. Whenever it is most possible for you. Correct? Now, الصلاة على وقتها What does it mean? Performing the prayer at its time. At its time. Right? Some have interpreted this as في أول وقتها But it doesn't just mean as soon as it begins. Because if you're praying Zuhr, if it starts at 12 o'clock and you're praying Zuhr at 12, at 12.05, at 12.30, at 1 o'clock, you are praying Salah on time. Okay? Even if it's half an hour before the time ends, you are still praying on time. The issue is with regards to Jama'ah, the congregation, because that will not wait for you. Okay? If you're praying individually yourself at home, then you can choose to pray whenever it's easy for you. But when you have to join a congregation, which is something necessary for men, then what are they supposed to do? Then when there is a need before them, which they have to fulfill, then what is necessary that they fulfill their need and then go for prayer. But remember that over here in all of these ahadith where it is mentioned that eat your food first. Hmm? This is uh, the command of ibaha, meaning it is it is allowed for a person of istihbab. Every command that the Prophet ﷺ gave that we learn about in the Qur'an, remember it is not amr of wujub, it is not wajib. Okay? Like for example in the Qur'an Allah says, وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ فَاسْطَادُوا When you come out of the state of ihram, then hunt. Is it wajib? 
Is it wajib for every person that when they come out of the state of ihram, they go hunting? It's not wajib. So fastadu over there, amr is of what? Ibaha. It is permissible. Alright? Meaning if a person wishes to go hunting, then he may do so. Now sometimes the amr is of istihbab. Meaning, what is better? What is preferred? What the Prophet ﷺ is telling you to do. So in this situation, where you go for prayer or you eat, what is better? What is better? Food. Because that's what the Prophet ﷺ said. Okay? But remember that this does not mean that a person keeps eating and eating and eating until he misses the jama'ah completely. Okay? This command allows him to join the jama'ah late. Second rakah, third rakah, even fourth rakah. But it doesn't allow him to miss the jama'ah completely. So a person will decide, can I finish this? Yes, I can. And I can join the jama'ah? Okay, alhamdulillah. And this is how we should eat also. Why is it that we have to spend 45 minutes eating our sandwich or eating our meal? If you think about it, this was not the way of the Prophet ﷺ to sit and eat and eat and chat and talk and relax. We have converted food into social event and entertainment, right? We take our time. We spend so long in eating. It should be something that should take maximum 15 minutes, maximum half an hour, not more than that. But 10-15 minutes, alhamdulillah, it is sufficient for eating your food. Right? So if a person eats at this pace, then he, inshallah he can join the jama'ah. But if he's taking too long, then what should he do? He will have to stop his food, leave it, and go join the jama'ah and come back. And otherwise also, if we uh, organize our day such that we are aware of when the prayer time will enter, then we won't be in these situations. حدثنا عبيد بن إسماعيل عن أبي أسامة عن عبيد الله عن نافع عن ابن عمر قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا وضع عشاء أحدكم when the supper of one of you is placed وأقيمت الصلاة and the iqama has been pronounced فابدأوا بالعشاء then begin with the supper ولا يعجل and he should not be hasty حتى يفرغ منه until he is free from it meaning until he has finished his food but this does not mean that he should miss the jama'ah in finishing the food. Because remember that on the one hand is amr of wujub, wajib, which is praying in jama'ah. And on the other hand is amr of istihbab, a command of istihbab. So when the two are before you, which one are you supposed to prefer? The wajib, right? If there's something recommended and there's something wajib and you can only do one of the two, which one are you supposed to prefer? Wajib. Alright? Meaning, it is recommended for you to do that in that situation. But if, uh, like for example, when there's food before you, time for prayer enters. It is preferred for you to finish your food first. That is preferred for you. But on the other hand, praying in Jamara is wajib. Okay? So, you have to choose between wajib and mustahab. Now, you have to choose between wajib and mustahab. Because the imam is on the last rakah. So in that situation, what are you going to do? You're going to leave the mustahab and prefer the wajib. This is just like a person has money and he needs to give zakat. Zakat is wajib. 
And on the other hand, there is also a great opportunity to spend in charity. That is mustahab. What, what is he required to do? He can't leave zakat to give charity elsewhere. He has to give zakat. Yes, you aim for the same. Uh, as, as women, it's not an obligation to perform salah in jama'ah. So this means that if there's something else that is more important in the sense that more time sensitive, right, that you cannot move here, there, then like for example, you have to feed your child. Or for example, you have to go and nurse your child or you have to change your child. Now what are you going to do? Leave the baby dirty? Leave the baby crying? That's going to disturb you in prayer? You can't pray with khushu at all. Correct? So this is why for women there is an allowance. They're not required to pray in jama'ah. But in the situation where your work is not time sensitive, then should you benefit from jama'ah? Yes, you should. Okay. So, وَكَانَ ibn Umar And Ibn Umar يُضَعُ لَهُ الطَّعَامِ Food would be put for him, meaning he would be served. وَتُقَامُ الصَّلَاةِ And salah would also be established, meaning iqama would be pronounced. فَلَا يَأْتِيهَا And he would not come for the prayer حَتَّى يَفْرُغَ Until he would finish the food. وَإِنَّهُ لَيَسْمَعُ قِرَاءَةَ الْإِمَامِ And he, he would even be able to hear the recitation of the imam. Right? Meaning, salah would have been started, the imam is reciting, but still Ibn Umar would finish his food and then go. This does not mean that he would miss the jama'ah. No, he would join late. So this is something that we need to keep in mind. وَقَالَ زُهَيْرٌ وَوَهْبُ بْنُ عُثْمَانٌ عَنْ مُوسَى إِبْنِ عُقْبَةَ عَنْ نَافِعٍ عَنْ إِبْنِ عُمَرَ قَالَ قَالَ نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا كَانَ أَحَدُكُمْ عَلَى الطَّعَامِ when one of you is eating, فَلَا يَعْجَلْ حَتَّى يَقْضِيَ حَاجَتَهُ مِنْهُ Then he should not be hasty until he fulfills his need from it. This is also important to remember. Fulfill your need from it. That if, you know, you'll be fine by taking three more bites or five more bites, then Alhamdulillah, you don't have to finish everything that's there. Satisfy your need and then go. وَإِنْ أُقِيمَتِ الصَّلَاةِ Even if the salah, meaning the iqama has been pronounced. رَوَاهُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ بْنُ الْمُنْذِرِ عَنْ وَهْبِ بْنِ عُثْمَان Madini. So, in summary, what is it that we learn? What is it that we learn? That food, eating, is a need. Whether it is for the person who is breaking his fast, or a person who is eating his dinner or lunch. In the hadith, Asha is mentioned, but it's not just limited to dinner. It applies to lunch also. It applies to your tea also, your coffee also. Because for some people, it's a very serious need. Right? If they don't have their tea on time, they're going to get a headache. They're going to be falling asleep in prayer. They'll be cranky. Right? So any kind of food, what is it? It's a need for a person. And jama'ah, an obligation on men. But when there is a need that has to be fulfilled, right? Then where a person is allowed to miss the jama'ah, pray at home, over here with regards to food, is he allowed to miss the jama'ah altogether? No. Not miss it, but join it a bit late. He's allowed to do that. You are your best judge basically, and you have to take a lot of caution because Allah is watching you. Allah knows how hungry you are, and how much you need to eat, and how important the prayer is for you also. Yes, exactly. That when the situation is in your control, then yes, you should not eat or plan to eat at the same time when you're supposed to go pray. Like for example, you have to go out to eat with your friends. Don't go at the same time as the time of salah. Choose a different time, either before or after. But sometimes the situation is not in your control. Somebody invites you, 
will be done before Isha. And what happens? The food is served at the time of Isha. Right? When the adhan is being pronounced at the masjid. Now you had the intention to go to the masjid, but you can't make it now. For many men it happens. So what are they going to do then? What are they going to do? If the masjid is like 15 minutes away, then okay, they've lost that chance. So what are they going to do? Establish a jama'ah in the house. But should the people be rushed through the food? Eat quickly because it's time for Isha. No, even if it's Maghrib, what do we learn? Eat first and then pray. Yes, or burping constantly, right? So it's necessary that we are proactive and in situations where things are not in our control, then um, do whatever is best, inshallah. You are your best judge. And right now also we should be proactive because you have 20 minutes before Jumu'ah. Okay. Also one more thing, it should not be the habit of a person once in a while. That's a different situation. But every day, every salah, then that's a problem. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.